Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Al. Hello, hello. All right, so what are we talking about on the podcast this week? We are talking about gender queer people in leadership roles nice nice. or the lack thereof or the lack thereof because less nice (laughs) yeah less nice that's true (laughs) so where do we want to start with that well i can give some context for what inspired this episode Mm -hmm. my workplace has a national queer affinity group so the organization that i work with is in something like 33 um, cities across the country And once a month or so, all of the queer folks get together or have the opportunity to get together on a virtual call. It's about an hour and a half long and we like build community and talk about queer stuff and like, you know, hang out. It's a lot of fun. It actually has been a beautiful community over the past six months or so that it's been happening. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's great. And entering the new year, they wanted to like kind of get a pulse check on how people were feeling about the space and how people were feeling about the conveners. So they sent out a survey and it caused me to reflect on the fact that one of the conveners is a gender expansive individual. I'm not sure of their exact gender identity, but they use they them pronouns and they're super freaking cool. And as I was like writing that out into my survey about how much I loved um, seeing this gender expansive leader and sharing space with this gender expansive leader, I was like, I've never, I I realized that I never had that experience before. And that was part of why it was so powerful was I was like, Never before have I had a, you know, facilitator, convener, teacher, manager, boss, any of those, like, definite leader positions that are non-binary. Yeah. And that sucks because it means that anytime we're talking about gender and gender expansive, no matter what circles I'm in, even if I am the student in those circles, literally in the terms of, like, classes and being in college, I have to be the teacher on gender right and that is a burden and it's a burden that i'm actually pretty happy with most of the time because like i'm an educator in my heart and soul i'm here making a podcast about gender like i do enjoy teaching people about gender but it's hard not to uh yeah see other people doing it yeah and i mean also not everybody is in that situation like i also am doing a podcast about gender but i do a lot less direct teaching about gender than you do it's not something that brings me quite as much joy Mm mm-hmm I got tired of it really quick within like six months of coming out. People were, people had questions. <laughs> um, but like, even for like everybody then who is gender expansive, if there aren't people in leadership, then whoever it is that happens to be gender expansive becomes the expert on gender expansiveness and is suddenly required to like know all of the people's questions about it or else just like be misunderstood. 
And that is like a really challenging place to be in if there's not like a genderqueer leader around. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your experiences uh, with gender expansive in general leadership? Oh boy. Um, I can't really think of any actual like leaders that I have had who are gender expansive. I've had queer leaders in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, bosses, supervisors, teachers, things like that, who were queer in the like sexual or romantic sense, but I've not had any gender queer leaders or even in a lot of my like professional circles, even really peers. Yeah. I know that my last job, the before the COVID, there was a like queer or there's like a like a transgender affinity lunch that you could go to. Mm-hmm. And I went to it a couple times because I was friends with the people who organized it. And the organizers had like a very like leadership like posturing and they were both gender expansive. One of them was non-binary. I believe one of them now identifies as transmasculine. Mm. They were super cool. And it was really awesome to hear from them. But the space wasn't, the space was very much an educational space too, because it ended up being a lunch where a bunch of cis people would show up and ask us questions about what it was like to be trans and how they can like help or something. (laughs) And so like, even that situation where like maybe somebody in the room was a little bit more of a leader than me, Mm. like it was still kind of being boiled down to like, someone has to be teaching less than just like there is somebody to look up to or somebody to like take the lead from. Yeah. And I do, I think that that is a lot of it is like, I don't necessarily feel like I need somebody to teach me about gender. Yeah. I read a lot about gender. I know frankly more about gender than most people that I know, Mm -hmm. like just from a factual stance, I'm a big academic nerd so like i i just read and absorb and talk to people so it's not that i'm looking for somebody to like show me the way in terms of gender Mm -hmm. and i think it's really interesting that this convener who is gender expansive that i that i started the episode talking about they've never taught me anything about gender they've right they've never even talked about gender in this space it's a it's a lgbtq plus ia like full queer space and it's never meant to be an educational space it's there are no allies allowed which does change the Mm -hmm. energy but they never told me anything about their gender they never helped me understand anything new about my gender but just them, literally just them being there mm-hmm. and leading and using they, them pronouns, in my humble opinion, was beautifully, like, comforting for me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've heard this sense kind of in, like, more of a broader scale mm-hmm. of there being, like, a dearth of queer elders in, yeah. at least in the United States, largely in part because of the AIDS epidemic and because of the fact that being queer was illegal for a long time in the U.S. Right. And so, like we now have a generation of or a couple of generations now of people who felt it was okay to be queer be themselves but also then don't really have a past generation to look to yeah i want to name that that language of like um we have to be elders to ourselves because there was not an elder generation before us is taken from the black community it's from the civil rights movement because so many of literally like black leaders were murdered and so black civil rights movement and now we don't call it the civil rights movement really anymore but like black liberation movements i mean like their leaders were murdered in the 60s mlk being the big one um so i i I agree with you i think it's so Mm -hmm. true of the queer community as well i just do want to name that like we didn't 
create that. And also while we're on it, just because this is important, it also comes from indigenous peoples who actually call their ancestors their elders, their older populations their elders, and elders of various tribes. Like the last people who speak various tribal languages are currently dying of COVID right now. That's just another aside that we should all be aware of. That's a very good point. I didn't actually ever think of where the that language came from. It makes a lot of sense that it came from the civil rights movement and yeah. um, black liberation movements. I appreciate everything they do for the queer community. We have taken, we have borrowed, we have adopted. We've. I think that the queer and black community have a decent relationship. I think we do. Decent. Maybe. Not perfect. Not perfect. Um, but I think that queer and black liberation movements have often worked in tandem yeah and and more so than other liberation movements in the black movement um i think that other sometimes it becomes competitive but because people can be queer and black we have (laughs) like i i think about this a lot in terms of running the affinity space at my Mm -hmm. work because i run the queer affinity space but i can't make it at the same time as other racial spaces like the racial affinity spaces are all at the same time right and which is already a little bit iffy because people can hold multiple racial identities, but there is an affinity space for people who are multiracial. So that's a different complication level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can hold, you inherently have to hold a racial identity in addition to your queer identity yeah. if you hold a queer identity. So like, this is something I think about a lot, literally just in terms of scheduling. Right. But that also, that, that, sorry, wrapping it all the way back around to queer leaders, <laughs> I think that's something else I think about in my journey. So mm-hmm. I have this one convener who is non-binary. Before that, I've had plenty of beautiful queer leaders, but no gender queer leaders. Right. It's just in my field, in psychology and in um, social work fields, there tend to be more out queer people. Right. But not gender queer ever, which again... I think has a bigger effect than we think it does. And because of that, one of the effects it has is I've been a leader in most of the spaces. I think about what was maybe four or five months ago now, Mm -hmm. I looked around and I realized this was before I really thought of the national group as a community that I was in. I think we'd had one meeting, but like it just wasn't on my mind. And I looked around and I realized that at my workplace, I am the de facto go-to person for gender questions gender um how to support gender queer students how to do this how to do that i'm the go-to person i get random texts and emails about that i run the the queer affinity group mm-hmm. i run this discord or I co i co-own the the queer discord that i co-own and i looked around and i was like i literally don't have queer people to look up to anymore like i don't mm-hmm. know where to progress from here because like you can only do so much from reading and doing your best like i was right, like i yeah. need actual queer elders i mean right to use that language like who where am i going what are my goals here yeah people are asking me questions and i have like let's say i have four levels of answers but like there's infinite levels of questions out there and like they're gonna start asking me questions i don't have answers to right and i don't know what even looks like to have those answers which this isn't exactly a leader but it is why i sought out a non-binary therapist right which is in its own way kind of a leadership role i mean it's somebody that you can look up to it is I think that is a little bit more self-selected. Like I think, mm-hmm. I think part of what would be beautiful about like just being able to enter a workplace and like find out your manager is non-binary would be that there's a level of normalization as yeah. opposed to my non-binary therapist who I had to 
literally, first off, have access to one of the largest cities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. to have access to non-binary therapists, and then also had to seek out and, like, sift through all of the cis therapists. And, like, that's... So, I mean, it's not actually that much work, but when compared to just showing up at a workplace and finding out your boss is non-binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was actually, I guess, the, the other, the closest brush that I had mm-hmm. to having um, genderqueer leadership at one point in my life was right before the pandemic, I got a job at a bar and mm-hmm. then the bar closed and then everything went bad because 2020 happened. There were good things in 2020. Y'all, you should have been around at like March 22nd when Josie was like, do you think I'll be able to start work in the first week of May? or april and i was like no look i was dealing with my anxiety in a particular way anyway (laughs) (laughs) but it's been a stressful year (laughs) my the the owner of the bar and the gm of the bar were both cis but super chill but the i i believe they were the bar manager who was at least some sort of gender non-conforming i did not get to know them well enough to learn about their gender identity Mm -hmm. but during my interview my interviewer like referred to them using they them pronouns Mm -hmm. so like had i actually been able to work there for them right i would have had a gender expansive you know leader in that regard and like that was just kind of an unfortunate situation but i do remember feeling very distinctly like oh i like i mean I'd been to this bar a lot because yeah. I'd liked the bar when I got the job there. <laughs> um, but I had it was a it was a good bar. Moment of silence. Moment of for silence. This bar. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, but so I'd met this person before. I just like you know when you're ordering drinks from someone, you don't always like ask after their gender. That would be a chill ass world if we did. It would be a chill ass world. That could just be a casual thing that we do. But I didn't realize that they were gender expansive until I went to this interview. And then when it was like mentioned that like, yeah, no, that person who like brought you over to the table for your interview and who like you would like report to as a senior member of staff if you were to ever work bar, like that person is gender expansive. That person uses they them pronouns. I remember it being very much like, oh, man, okay, cool. So I can just like casually talk about being trans in this job interview. and That's fine. And like, that was super cool. Yeah, I think that there is something to be said for like, having queer leadership specifically gender queer leadership it is a measure of safety because it means that this organization mm-hmm. supports you you know right. at least in theory like it doesn't that's not 100 like it's not a guarantee but like it means that your assumption can be that you're going to be supported here right yeah yeah so what kind of a where can we look for leadership then do you think if we well you can come to my discord <laughs> and then i'll be your leader it'll be great that's true that's true <laughs> No, but I think that, so I don't know. I mean, the the, the answer is I don't know. Mm -hmm. But something that I've been doing, a practice that I've been trying to center myself on, because I don't, I think that we are unfortunately in a situation right now where like gender expansive leadership might not be accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I could tell you move to a larger city, specifically Detroit, and in my opinion, seems like really cool stuff's happening in Detroit is all I'm saying. (laughs) I could tell you. To move to Tulsa, they apparently have the largest queer community center in the nation. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Well, I knew that because you knew that. Well, yeah, but like moving your entire life to find a genderqueer leader might not be accessible to you. It might just be like, wow, yeah, it does suck that I don't have a genderqueer leader, but I like my life. So in that regard, Mm -hmm. something that I have been centering on is trying to remember that like I am that 
genderqueer leader for other people right. and drawing power from that. That's true. And not just in the sense of like the discord or the affinity group where I literally am like the owner of that space and I am the convener of that space and I facilitate those conversations. But more importantly, in like the small ways where like on my team, my official job title right now is team leader, literally. So on my team, I'm not acting as a non-binary person. I'm acting as a team leader. I'm acting as somebody who's been in this role for a year and a half now and can give sound advice, kind of. I mean, you know, COVID, but (laughs) sound-ish advice. (laughs) And I happen to be non-binary. And that does provide space for like that kind of casual level of leadership where you don't necessarily even have to ever mention that you're non-binary or like talk about gender with someone. It can just be like, yeah, I exist and it is clear to the people around me that like you can exist this way too right and that it's clear that other people can exist that way too is so powerful yeah since i started using they them pronouns consistently at work how many people have come out using they them pronouns at least four a lot of people and like i mean i don't think that i made these people genderqueer that is not what i am saying right but i mean you didn't make those people genderqueer did the COVID make them genderqueer? Did Perhaps. being out of the public gaze make people genderqueer? We'll find out. But I think more, so. but, but but also, did having a leader in an organization who is genderqueer? Actually, I'm not the only team leader who is genderqueer, and I want to name that because right. that's super super cool. But did having a leader? So like, I use they them pronouns, and I've been here for a year and a half. So you, if you only started a month ago can trust (laughs) that like if you suddenly want to use they them pronouns or maybe you always have wanted to use they them pronouns but like you Mm -hmm. felt like you're gonna have to fight for it in a workplace you can see in daily practice that you don't have to fight for that in this workplace that that is okay that you can do that right i mean we talked a little bit about that when we were talking about our gender in the workplace episode where it was like having spaces where it is just okay for that to happen and okay for like clearly accepted to explore that space yeah is really important for like true inclusivity in the workplace. Yeah, I think it's essential. And I think a lot of people who have talked to me before already know this about my workplace because I think it's very important for me to share it because I want people to understand that these sorts of workplaces exist where Mm -hmm. you can change your pronouns and you can change your name and you can change them back and you can explore and you can experiment and people can get with the freaking program. It's not that hard. Yeah. But I think beyond that, so like that is true and that is powerful in my work, but... For myself, who is somebody who doesn't feel like I have the elders that I need or that I would prefer, at least, drawing power from the fact that I can see the influence that I'm having Mm -hmm. or that I can see the influence that I can attribute some piece of to myself, I think that's a very powerful practice. And like, I think when people are thinking about like coming out, quote unquote, or um, asking for different pronouns or doing whatever it is, there's this like fear and this fixation on people who will be uncomfortable or confused or ignorant or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, just don't forget to consider that there could also be people who take so much power in you doing that. Right. And who maybe it shakes loose something in them that they hadn't thought about. Or maybe there are people who work around you who like literally outside of that workplace already go by they, them or already go by other pronouns. Right. And just don't bring it to work. Right. I mean, like, that's, I feel like it's a very real thing that, I mean, there was a very, there are very real, like, worlds in which I just don't tell people that I'm trans during my, it's hard when I have a job. I have to tell somebody because my 
tax forms are not my name, but right. But yeah, like like you said, you can hold power for yourself and kind of recognize that maybe you can be that leader, and that doesn't mean you have to necessarily lead. You can just sort of like be the ranking queer person in a space. There are a whole three gender queer team leaders. I'm sorry, I just completely <laughs> xed one of them. <laughs> These things. That's wild that you have three different leaders. People with a, the title leader in their title. In your yeah, I mean, I feel like it is misleading, and I should provide context that the team leader role is really just the second year role. Like, it just means you've been here for two years, so it doesn't like it's not like we're managing anybody. We're not um, right, but but you're 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 positioned. You're positioned as mentors. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I do have people who have to ask me if they're going to not work or have to ask me if they're going to leave early or miss something or whatever it is. And that probably does make a lot of space then for people to feel comfortable changing around their pronouns if they want to or their names or, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a very jarring ceiling of sorts because there are three non-binary team leaders but what there are let me let me let me do some quick quick math there are 13 team leaders right and there are something on the order of 25 staff members and let me tell you how many non-binary staff members there are there are zero right right so. there there's like a there there's a there's an upper limit to where that leadership reaches to right and and then sort of to the point that you were making at the beginning of the podcast like that means that you mm-hmm. one of those gender queer leaders that may very well be like holding space for and inspiring people that happen to work below you quote unquote your yeah. organization is not super hierarchical like that but you then also don't have anybody to look up to like we said mm-hmm. and so i wonder is there anybody around you besides your therapist because you already talked about your therapist but Mm -hmm. is there anybody else like in the world around you that you maybe look up to as like a as like a stand-in for leadership like are there like public figures or so this is actually a conversation i was having with somebody this morning um which is the odd fact that because there are so few genderqueer like liberation people out there writing books and doing things like that trust me i've read i've read some books on it but like there are, there are not as many of them. Mm-hmm. I find myself really reading a lot of books um, by and about Black liberation, mm-hmm. by Black liberationists and Black people in general mm-hmm. um, about Black liberation, because I think that, I mean, first off, everybody should read that stuff. It's good to know, especially if you're in the U.S. It's part of our history yep. and part of our future. But also in part, I read people like Adrian Marie Brown and Alexis Gums, who are a black femme and a black woman, woman respectively, because they talk about gender, they talk about sexuality, they talk about queerness, they talk about queerness a lot, and they talk about liberation and they talk about oppression. Mm. And while I know that I don't fit all of what they're saying and I do not, I cannot identify with all of their experiences. Specifically, Adrian Marie Brown is a huge role model to me in everything. Everybody should go read both of her books. They've written Emergent Strategies, which is phenomenal, but very focused on like leadership and like how to be a leader and a facilitator. And then Pleasure Activism, which is a book that everybody in the whole world should read. Yes. Yes. So I guess kind of in summary... We need more queer leaders in the world. We need, and and that doesn't have to be that like every Starbucks needs a gender queer shift manager. Although that'd be chill. That'd be chill. But like, there need to be more people who are leading by example and who are kind of talking about it 
And, and it needs to be normalized that just because you're genderqueer doesn't mean that you have to teach everybody about yeah. gender. Yeah. You can if you want to, but like... Like, I don't know, genderqueer authors, genderqueer movie makers who aren't inherently made to make movies about the coming out experience of a genderqueer teen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah. like those sorts of things too. Like those can also be sources of like, you can aspire to that. Yeah. I mean... Also, I just want the, like, wealth of books that I can find on so many other topics, but on gender. Yeah. Can't find that. But I have a couple, and I will list them in the show notes. Don't you worry. You want some nonfiction on gender? I got you. True. 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 And you, are... you want some fiction on gender? Look back at our previous episode. We I got you. One. We did have one. <laughs> River Solomon and A.R. Capetta are two very good non-binary fiction authors if you want to look into their stuff incredible river solomon especially yes they're cool <laughs> no matter what we try to do with this podcast it will always end up talking about books that's no matter true. what i try to do in my life i will always end up talking about books <laughs> books are beautiful and powerful and important and also this time i brought them up so it's true it wasn't me this time y'all yeah. can't blame me it's true i mean you did bring up you did bring up amb but... can't blame me <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's going to just about do it for us this week on Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening, and just keep thinking about it. Yay! Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon.